rotten motherfucker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Most Ahamas Podcast. I'm your host, Damon Damien. All right, buddies. Uh, this week's episode has been a long time coming. This week, we sit down with my good friend, Mr. Andy Thomas. Now, you probably know Andy from, uh, well, he's mostly well-known as the one of the front, many front men of Tin Horn Prayer, uh, one of Denver's greatest exports at the moment. Um, they're currently on an indefinite hiatus, but hopefully they'll return to it soon. Uh, I got to know Andy, though, first and foremost as the drummer of Only Thunder, and then I fell madly in love with this first solo record. It's a great record, and I don't really think we talked enough about I don't even think we talked about it at all in today's episode. Um, but I've known Andy for, I don't know, five, probably about five years now. Um, he was actually there the day we did the second Mostly Harmless podcast interview, uh, it was, of course, with Mr. Virgil Dickerson. Uh, it was the first version of it that no one has ever heard. It has disappeared from the space of the earth and nobody will ever hear it. But Andy was down there uh, in the green room basement of the high dive hanging out. And we did this interview and Andy went, man, I really like those, I like a couple of those questions, but you guys are way too drunk. And what I really like most about Andy is... And if any of you guys are in the creative world, you'll know that you may. It's hard finding real, honest to goodness criticism. Uh, Andy's the guy I go to, and I'm like, Andy, what do you think of this? And Andy'll be the guy that goes, uh, it's okay. You could have did better. You know, you could have did better. He's the guy that I look for real, honest to goodness guidance from. Um, he's got a good head on his shoulders. Great dude. I really, I mean, I I kiss his ass enough in this interview, but uh, he's the guy that I, I, if I want an honest opinion on something that's unfiltered, untethered to anything else, I go to Andy and I'm like, Andy, what do you think of this? And Andy will give me an honest to goodness opinion. Um, but, and I'm so excited to finally have him on here. We were supposed to do this way back when uh, Tin Horn Prayer's second album came out, but I didn't live in Denver yet. And so we couldn't make things happen. But now I live in Denver and now great things are going to happen between us all uh so today's episode is in celebration of andy thomas's newest record wicked dark um and even more importantly we're celebrating his newest book well his first book uh hell is in new jersey um that's going to be released there's a release party this weekend that we're kind of trying to promote here uh friday october 11th denver colorado at mutiny coffee exchange it's a block north from three kings tavern Super easy to find, super easy to Google. We're going to be, there's going to be a uh, book release party for Hell is in New Jersey. Andy's going to be there. He's not going to read. He claims, claims book readings are lame, but uh, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to hear a little piece of this book. Um, but that's what we're here mostly to talk about today. But um, as long as I've known Andy, like, th- this is a super long episode, so I should just shut the fuck up and get to it. Um, but I honestly, like, didn't know a lot of the stuff that we talked about today so i'm very very fascinated and i'm very very excited um a couple quick things before we get to the interview uh andy's gonna be playing october 25th at larimer lounge with joe pug um that's gonna be a great show i'm gonna be there you should be there we should all be there um hopefully we'll get an interview with joe pug we're working on it got got the request in buddy we'll see what happens um we're gonna do a live mostly harmless podcast on Friday, October 18th at Mutiny Coffee Exchange with the guys from Two Cow Garage. They're going to get up. They're going to play some a uh, couple acoustic songs. Uh, we're going to do some interviews. We're going to record it. And then they're playing at the Lion's Lair later that night. Um, it's going to be great. It's going to fucking rule. You should fucking come. I've never done a live podcast before. I'm nervous as hell. 
but I think I think it's gonna work out all right. I'm watching Conan O'Brien episodes right now on uh, on my DVR here, so I'm I'm trying to get prepared, prepared, paired. What the fuck am I talking about? Uh, so yeah, so I'm gonna shut the hell up. Uh, Andy Thomas, Wicked Dark, new record came out earlier this year. I love it. You're gonna love it. All, most of the songs are uh, kind of uh, based upon Coen Brothers films. We're gonna, all going to talk about that in today's episode. I don't know why I'm talking about it now. Um, and then Friday, October 11th, we're going to be celebrating his book, Hell is in New Jersey, Mutiny Coffee Exchange. It's free. Come hang out. There's going to be DJs. There's going to be beer. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and play a song off of uh, A.D. Thomas's Wicked Dark record. Uh, this is Simple Solution. It features Damien Merkel from Bad Luck City. I apologize if I butchered your name there, buddy. But uh, what a, what a weird, happy coincidence. We both have the same name, Damien. Yeah, it's spelled completely different. But uh, I think you got the better spelling on that there, uh, Mr. Merkel. Uh, but Bad Luck City, it's a great song. There's an even better video for it. That's going to be linked to at mostlyharmlesspodcast.com uh, or mhpod.com. Uh, go check it out. But yeah, this is a Simple Solution featuring Damien Merkel from Bad Luck City. And his 
knuckles went white With each piece of earth that I threw on his bones The life in his body withdrew well, I buried you from a lover alive and I do it all over for you Yeah, I do it all over for you Now there's nothing that I wouldn't do Sorry, this took so long to do. We were going to do this how many times on the Artless Nancy tour? Well, it was seven days long. Huh? When it's five in the morning, yeah. You prefer to drink. Yeah. Well, we were going to do it every single day of that seven-day tour, and then it never happened, which is probably for the better. Yeah, it's okay. I don't know. I mean, we didn't want to interrupt the uh, the good times. Those were good times. Remember that dog that snored all night? Yeah. What town was that? That was uh, somewhere in Tennessee. It was Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, yeah. yeah. What was that guy's name? That was the nicest guy in the world. I can't remember. That was uh, me and me and Jen still talk about that. As like it was like the nicest guy, nicest dog tour. Because every city, some guy let us stay at his house. And he was awesome, yeah. and he always had a nice dog. So not a bad way to spend the rest of your night after you play a rock show. Yeah, those are pretty good. Uh, so yeah. I like to do research, and I feel like I know so much about you that it probably hurts because I have so much here that I want to talk about. Yeah, lay it on me, man. Lay it on me. Let's do it. Um, if you do a Google search of Andy Thomas, the only thing that comes up is this astronaut. Oh, there, there's another guy. There's another Andy Thomas on Spotify. Did you know that? I did because uh, I recently sold some songs to uh, like a I don't know if it's public access, but some TV station in Chicago bought some of my music, and when they sent the contract. There was like four songs I didn't recognize, and then I went on Spotify, and it was that other Andy Thomas. So I probably should have just sold the songs and then like split the money with them or yeah. something like that. But that's kind of the reason I I put out the record as Andy Thomas's Dust Heart. <clears throat> Excuse me, because um, you know it's a pretty common name. It's hard to yeah. Google, so I figured if I tacked on a little bit of something at the end, it might make it a little more searchable and kind of separate me from the other wannabe Andy Thomases. Yeah. Um. Yeah, whenever I Googled you, I just did Andy Thomas Denver. You popped up every yeah. time right away. It's pretty. That was pretty easy, but I'm sure I missed out on all the other good stuff. Um, but, yeah, you know how this works. So we're at Illegal Pete's, South Broadway, brand-new location. You used to kind of sort of work for Illegal Pete's, didn't you? Well, yeah, I mean, I did. I worked in a physical restaurant a long time ago. I mean, this was... I was thinking about it today, how kind of much I drifted around for a long time, and this was still like in your kind of listless, getting you know any job possible. But I used to drive down from here down to their like south. No, it wasn't even. So this is the south location now, but they had one even further south, and like Highlands Ranch, like Denver Tech Center. No, not Denver Tech Center. It was Park Meadows. So I used to work down there, and that's when I first met Pete. And uh, I really liked, you know, I love the organization still. Um, but I did that for a couple years, and then that was right before I went to Suburban Home and worked there for a long time. And after that was t- starting to kind of fall apart, me and Virgil both approached Pete, knowing him from years past. And that's when we decided to kind of start the, like, the Starving Artist program, and we started Greater Than Collective. And both those are still going on, and Virgil and Pete still do that. And I kind of backed out just because with everything else I'm doing, and now I have a full-time job, 
Um, it didn't seem prudent at the time to try to tack on one more thing, but I'm proud of the fact that I was there, you know, in the beginning, and the fact that those guys are still doing it. I think it's it's a really cool thing that's still going on. And then here we are at the brand new location. Yeah. I'm sure you could probably just call Pete and be like, Pete, give me a job, but you don't need it, but need I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's nice to be able to come down to any of these locations and get free food most of the time. So, I, I, I've been running sound at this one here and there, which is a joke. Like, it's so easy to run sound that a monkey could do it, hence yeah. why I'm doing it. And, yeah, I, I've been coming in here, and they've been taking good care of me, so that's fun. Yeah, um, they hire, you know, like-minded people, you know. It's like separates this restaurant and this organization from a lot of other people and a lot of restaurants. It's like, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what skills you had before you came in. It matters yeah. if you're kind of on board and, you know, you, you appreciate the culture and you appreciate the mission that they're trying to do. And, you know, I'll always support that. Um, so let, let's jump a little bit. You're in like 15 bands right now. Uh, the ones I know of are The New, Solo, Shining Wires. Is that the name of the band? Yeah, Shining Wires. Yeah. Th- there are like 15 different bands in Denver right now with the name Wire in them, and I yeah. get them all confused. Yeah, there's Wire Dogs, there's Wire Faces, uh, there's us. I feel like there's a lot more. Um, so that band is still, that, you know, that band is kind of, it's it's really fun and it's great. There's a lot of different kind of pecking orders to the projects I'm in. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was in Tin Horn Prayer, that was kind of like my main priority. And the new, well, the new, I guess, came in right after Tin Horn Prayer kind of took a break. So now the Tin Horn Prayer is on a break. The new is really active and the new is my priority and the new is the one that does all this stuff. Shining Wires is two of my best friends and not to like slight us or anything, but we definitely have the understanding that this is not serious we're gonna have fun and we're gonna play shows like last night we showed up to practice and the bass cab wasn't there and rather than like anyone kind of panic you know casey our bass player walked in and said hey fuck it let's go get a drink and we went and got a drink because a lot of bands get so worked up about like your schedule and where you're supposed to be and you know and it should be like that to a point because if you want to make any headway you have to be diligent but shining wires just with the understanding that you know we're just gonna have fun and it's been great so far and then uh, solos, I'm kind of taking a step back with the solo stuff just because I hit it so hard when my record came out. You know, and as you know, we toured because we toured together. Yeah. I toured, um, you know, I did a lot of interviews. I got a lot of press for it. It was great. And then uh, I did a CD release show at the High Dive. I proposed to my girlfriend at one of the shows. So it just seemed like, man, I kind of, I've done a lot for this record. I'm going to slow down. But coming up, I have a show with Joe Pug at the Laramie Lounge, which is going to be great. And I have a show in Edinburgh. <laughs> Yeah, which is gonna be pretty fucking cool too. So, how'd you, how'd you land that? Well, I uh, I'm going there with Jen's my fiance's family um, for Thanksgiving. We were just out there, and I was like, man, it'd be cool to like play a show while I'm here. So I ended up getting a hold of this band called Uniforms. That's from they're from Edinburgh, right outside. I think the show's in Dundee, but I got a hold of them, and they're uh, they're I, I know them through they toured with this band called Loaded 45 that's from Grand Junction they get, they set me up I figured I'd mention that to make it Loaded 45 they're my buddies too that's right yeah um, so uh, they're those guys uniforms are throwing a punk festival called Book Your Anne Fest which I don't know what that means even though it's English it's some you know Slang. Scottish terminology that I don't know but uh, yeah so they were super accommodating and I've never played an out-of-the-country show before, so that'll be my first. I'm stoked for you. Thanks, uh, you were also in Only Thunder and Ghost Buffalo. Yeah. Are there any other notable bands I'm missing? Not really. Um, Tin Horn Prayer was, yeah. you know... You mentioned that. I, right. Yeah, I, that's... Yeah. Yeah, so when I, when I first moved to Denver, 
um, from Grand Junction. You grew up in Grand Junction? No, I'm from yeah. this area. I grew up kind of in the foothills outside of cool. Denver, like closer to Golden, up near Blackhawk area. Yeah. Um, but I went to college in Grand Junction for four and a half years and then came back here. And like, I didn't really know a lot of people. I knew like the Qualm guys and I knew like the Pinhead Circus dudes. But I didn't, I don't think anyone really knew I was a musician. They just knew me as the drunk dude that was at all their shows. <laughs> so it took me a while to get any footing. I started singing in this band called World Champion, which no one's ever heard of. It was kind of like this strange metalcore band that I sang in. Um, and it was strictly just to get back into music. Um, and because of that, I guess, you know, I kind of reestablished some connections in the music scene. You know, Denver's so inclusive that, you know, it doesn't take much for you to be able to, you know, play a couple shows, meet some people, you know, if you're nice and you hang out, then you, you start to meet the people you really want to play with and the bands you really want to play with. So a result of that was actually meeting Virgil, who I, I mentioned earlier, Dickerson, and he had just put out the Ghost Buffalo record, and like immediately when he put out the record, their drummer quit. Uh, Mikey Ricketts, who used to play in Planes Mistaken for Stars. And we were going up to camp or something, and he put on the record, and I was like, this is awesome. Um, and I tried out, and I made it, which was like, you know, I, you know, it was a really good start down whatever path I'm currently on. And it was just kind of random. Um, that was really fun. That was like, you know, two and a half years of doing that. As soon as that band ended, or they went on, I, you know, some stuff obviously didn't work out with us, but without getting into details. And then I got into Only Thunder, and that was three and a half years of, you know, that was some of the best times I've ever had with a band. And that's when I met you. Yeah. That's when we came into contact. Right, because I think we would play the Springs a bunch. A few times, yeah. Yeah, you were booking the Triple Nickel at the time. Yeah. That's how we met you, yeah. Um, and then, you know, Tin Horn Prayer kind of overlapped with that. And the future's still out on that one. <laughs> but everything else has been really good, yeah. Now, I guess I should mention, too, that me and a few of the Tin Horn guys, Scooter, Ethan, and Dan, are playing in a band called Bloodlines. I didn't know you were in that. <laughs> yeah. We've played a couple shows. Um, that's been a really hard one to get off the ground, um, just with how busy everyone is. But we're playing October 29th at the High Dive with Native Daughters. So we're getting out there while we can. I guess I'll be there. Yeah. Especially because it's two blocks away from my house exactly. now. Perfect. Oh, it's so great not living in this. Like, <laughs> I love the Springs, and I wouldn't know you. Well, I'd probably have met you because of there, but, yeah. man, everybody's like, why did you live in the Springs so long? And this isn't about me, so I should shut up. But, you know, I met so many great people through that, including yeah. you. Um, it, I, I'll, I'll jump to the other stuff in a minute, but I remember at a Triple Nickel show, me and Justin Hackle having a drunken conversation. I'm like... Man, I really like Andy, but I don't think Andy likes me. And Justin Hackle going, dude, I played in the band with him for three years. I don't think he likes me either. It was a, it was a joking, of course, but uh, you know, it's funny. And of course, now I know, like, yeah. like we're buddies, we're old friends. I think and I'm you might dude. not have liked me then because no. people didn't like. People have this weird thing where they meet me and they're like, "That guy's a dick. That guy's See, an asshole." I don't think anyone likes me. No. So maybe it's an extension of like I'm always real guarded when I first meet somebody, yeah. and I you know I'm not a guy who's gonna show a whole lot of like emotion. <laughs> and as you know too, I'm like pretty yeah. close to the chest, but I'm friendly, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's you're really hard to read, and that throws me <laughs> off. Yeah. But I like that. I like I like running into people I can't read because I'm yeah. like, there's something in there. I don't have. I mean, I don't have any ill will towards anybody. You know, I just we're cool. We hang out. <laughs> Once we're friends, we're friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, let, let's take a step back. Um, what was like? 
usual questions I ask everybody. Um, when was the first time you like really just music? You you heard a song and it just grabbed you by the throat and said, "Listen," uh, and you got sucked in. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I I can't maybe can't think of a specific song. I remember like when I first started playing music, like the act of being in a band. Like at first seemed kind of like perfunctory. Like I had a drum set, someone had a guitar, and someone had a bass, and it was just like we could start a band. Like imagine that. And like it didn't seem to like understand like, which maybe is why I've kind of kept everything in perspective. Like I didn't have any like notions as to why I needed to be in a band. I just wanted to be in one. But I remember like the first time without any of us really being obviously great at our instruments. Like I started this band was when I was 13 years old, and we just like started like making noise and I remember like being so amazed and I think we just did that for like four minutes like seriously just open chords and I was hitting every drum I possibly could and I think that kind of hooked me just like the sheer volume of it so maybe it was just like that first moment of realizing like I'm in a band this is music this is great and you started out as a drummer from the get-go yeah so I started playing drums super young like 12 and that was as a result of when I was in like elementary school concert band you could pick like trombone or trumpet or something like that and I didn't really want to do any of that which now I probably wish I had some of those skills that I don't you know I wish I could play some sort of brass instrument Um, but I just wanted to do something cool and I could rub my head and pat my stomach at the same time and tap my foot so like I started doing that and that's why like I said it was no other reason than like I had to do something and then it was when I had like drums in front of me and I was like, yeah, then you can be in a band because you play this instrument. Where the kids who played clarinet were like, this is fucking stupid. I'm not going to do this anymore. And none of those guys play that instrument anymore because right. I made some weird decision to play like a cooler instrument. It's put me on this strange path. Yeah. In my elementary school, they came through and they like assigned us all these. In fifth grade, there was art class, choir class, strings... And then I think there was something else in there. And I wanted to play guitar so bad. My dad had guitars, but I have tiny hands, and I still do, which I guess shouldn't have ever stopped me. But my dad was like, we'll come back in a couple years when your hands are bigger, and I'll teach you how to play guitar, and I still have tiny hands. So I ended up playing a violin from 5th grade to 12th grade. Can't can't play it worth a damn, but I can play it. I can read sheet music, so it's similar. Similar stories. Um, Did you play anything else back then, or is it just straight up drums for a long time? I mean, it was drums for a long time, and then uh, I've you know I've always told people like the reason I started playing guitar is because we I had the drums at my parents' house, so like everyone would come over there, and they didn't want to haul their stuff back and forth, so they just left all their stuff there. So like I just started going downstairs when no one was around and picking up everyone's guitars, and you know that's how I learned everything. And I had some chord books and stuff like that. My dad played guitar, so he taught me a little bit, but. It was because, and I probably played more back then than I do now, which is kind of sad because, you know, I lived in the mountains in Colorado and I just was fascinated by the stuff that was left in my basement. I didn't really know how it worked. (laughs) So I just started picking up and again, like that initial noise, like when you plug in an electric guitar and you strum it for the first time, it's this really visceral, amazing feeling. So I kept, you know, I'd play for a couple hours a day and I don't have time to do that anymore and it kind of sucks, but you know... But you're still in like 15 bands. Yeah. <laughs> so you still, you're, st- well, okay, what, four? Anyway. Four bands, uh, yeah. But, so you're still playing music more than the average Joe. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a practice space that all my bands practice in, and I'm there 
four or five nights a week and you know I see every band that goes in and out of there and I'm constantly there I'm there more than I'm at my apartment sometimes which you know on one hand I think is great and on the other hand it gets a little exhausting and you know it's this dingy shitty practice space in the middle of five points and <laughs> I, I get sick of being there sometimes but you know I kind of had this weird understanding that I was getting older I'm 32 years old and for some reason I thought I had to play and I have to play as much as I possibly can because I don't have that much more time you know yeah. I can always play music I, I get those sentiments exactly <laughs> yeah you know it's like why you want to do anything why you want to just why I wrote a book you know you start to and I wish you know I would have known this earlier and I guess I always did because I never stopped playing music but someone has to explain to you at some point that now's the time you know it's it's not there's no better time when you start to get a little older you see that time starting to kind of close yeah. in on you and I, I, I have to do this now <laughs> you know that that's the curse I wish I could quantum leap back in time into myself yeah. with the knowledge I got now that do it fucking now yeah God knows where the hell either one of it well I mean you kept doing it but for me like who knows who the fuck we'd be yeah I mean but there's still so many things I want to do yeah and probably a lot of things I won't do. Yeah. So I'll do as much as I possibly can while I can. So uh, I take it your parents were super supportive of all the music? Your dad played guitar? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, they're still very supportive. My parents, still, they'll be at Three Kings sometimes. They'll be at the High Dive. They'll, they're amazing. And part of the reason why like, I kept on this path that I did is because they were so supportive. Yeah. They never once told me it was a waste of time. They're really proud that I'm in a band. They're really proud of, you know... <laughs> the limited accomplishments I've had it's like back then when I was I was in this metal band in high school kind of after my first band we still practiced in that garage or my basement and we ended up losing a bass player and then like I don't know if it was through Craigslist or just someone new but we ended up having this like 28 year old bass player it was like this ex-meth head and he was missing teeth and he was really nice but he would show up with like his hessian metal friends in my parents house and they would just be like hey what's up you need something to drink like here's a glass of water and they just didn't never you know chastised me for it and we'd drink all my dad's beer and he was cool about it and <laughs> did your dad play in bands too or just dabble you know he never did he you know he was just the finger picky guy sitting around watching tv and playing yeah. but he never you know started a band my mom's you know has some musical talent too but she never really did anything with it and i don't know yeah what possessed me to to yeah. be so active with it but there was yeah like i said it wasn't for lack of support on their end, for sure. Um, so the ne the next question I have written down, we kind of like already covered. Um, but you were in when I met you. You were in Only Thunder. That's my first frame of reference for a long time. My favorite Denver band, still one of my favorite Denver bands. It's sad yeah. that it's gone. Hopefully there'll be a reunion. Joe tattooed me yesterday, and he's like, yeah. "Next year, next year's gonna be the year, dude. It's gonna happen." I would love it, man. We were starting to get close to it. So me and Casey from Only Thunder are in Shining Wires together. So we still play, and you know I see Hackle all the time. He's in Native Daughters. Joe, I don't think plays music right now, but I see him a lot still. And you know the reason why we broke up, you know the. The short answer is Pedro moved to uh, San Francisco at the time. The long answer was, you know, I don't know, our van broke down, I had started another band, Hackle was another band, there were some things that started to lead to the demise and whether I was responsible for some of those, like, yeah. maybe, but, um, you know, we all still remained on good terms yeah. as far as a breakup as a band. We played an amazing last show, I've never had that before, there was no hard feelings <laughs> that came out anyway, and then... Pedro came back to Denver a little bit ago and we had started talking about it but then there was like oh we haven't been gone for long enough 
Fair and enough. now I feel like we're long enough away. It's been three years, I think, now that since we broke up. And then Pedro moved again. <laughs> and I would love to do it again. You know, I still listen to those that record. We only put out one record. But, you know, I think about those parts all the time. And I, you know, I still actively play and Hackle actively plays. So I think we could do it. And, uh, you know, maybe if there's some more interest, it'd be, you know, it'd be the same 20 sweaty dudes yeah. with beards up front. <laughs> I like that. Uh, your, I, I looked at the Facebook page today. And the, the person that is in the center of the profile photo is me. Yeah. Me with my missing tooth. You kept your Screaming shirt along. Though. I took it you off took eventually. Off Josh, yeah. Josh from Sleeper Horse said, you got to take your shirt off. Josh and I have, Shining Wires. Yeah, and Shining <laughs> Wires now. Uh, I have giant man boobs, so it's 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 rare to see me without my shirt off anywhere. There's not a lot um, of dudes in the scene that have amazing bodies, man. Yeah, but I, I mean, like, I've, I've had girlfriends with... I have bigger boobs than a lot of my girlfriends. I mean, granted, I like girls with smaller boobs, but, I mean, they're giant. I mean, look at these things. I mean, audience at home can't hear them, but... uh, um, (laughs) I heard them smushing. Yeah. uh, I liked... It's funny. I know know Tin Horn's first show was with Chuck Reagan, and it was a little while before the last Only Thunder show. But Only Thunder's last show was with Chuck Reagan. Yeah, it was kind of weird the way that worked out. Yeah. Um, That's kind of why, I mean... You know, I don't actively keep in contact with him, but it's cool to ha- you know to have that dude as like a friend. You know, he sang on the Tin Horn Prayer record. <laughs> the last only Thunder show, we were all drunk. You know, like everyone. Oh, yeah, we were all hammered. I don't know if Chuck was, but I walked out of the back room and I was emotional and I was drunk and I was crying because the band was over. <laughs> and Chuck Reagan walks towards me and he just looks at me and goes, "Oh, brother!" And he like grabs me and I like start crying on his shoulder. There's this moment I was like, "This is really weird." And surreal, but this is really cool. Yeah. Well, he's been through it too. Break yeah. up some band, and they get back together, break up. Um, yeah. One thing Joe was telling me yesterday, and hopefully he doesn't mind me mentioning this, he said that one of the things that kind of killed Only Thunder was you guys were talking to Epitaph once upon a time, and yeah. he's like, I kind of feel like that's kind of what killed it, the, it was, that momentum. Because yeah. he, and, and this is him, and I'm maybe I shouldn't even mention this but he was like I didn't want to be in a big band and those guys did and that just kind of I mean it was a weird thing and I think it's a lesson to learn with a lot of people and we never you know it's the same thing with a lot of bands we claim we didn't have an agenda but we started getting fans you know and we got signed to a label in Michigan and it was like you know we had some national following and it was cool Epitaph thing came out of nowhere there was like this week at work it was when I worked at Suburban Home which I think how they knew how to contact me in the first place but we got contacted by Epitaph kind of real randomly. The guy who signed Frank Turner, his name's Chris, had heard about us through some friend he had in Denver, and he'd been listening to us for a year, and he finally got a hold of us. And then he, like, said other people have been paying attention to you guys, too. And then we get an email from Gaslight Anthem's manager who said she was shipping our record around to all these major labels, and we were just, like, something that we never really wanted was all of a sudden, like, obtainable. And we, I don't know, I think we dealt with it fine, we made some mistakes or we made you know we didn't do the necessary things to make anything happen and it was it was a huge letdown whereas like we would have you know originally said that's not what we want and meant it it wouldn't have been such a letdown but you can't not get excited about something like that you know and like it, it was tough for all of us we were like you know kind of in our late 20s and some of us you know were having girlfriends and you know jobs that we couldn't leave and stuff like that and I mean, I guess the short answer is, yeah, it was really disappointing when it didn't happen. And, you know, for the people who, like, didn't want it to happen in the first place, it was probably, a, you know, a, a, a relief. 
But yeah, I mean, I'm glad it happened and we can still say like they looked at us and it yeah. could have happened. Everyone has to have like would have could have shit a story. Yeah. And well, I've had hundreds of them, but what, he, that that album will come on randomly when I'm listening to you know whatever on random and it's still like it now now it's been long enough that I'm like who the fuck is this band? And I'm like oh shit. I, I know every word of every song and I have to go run to the computer phone or whatever and I'm like oh yeah, it's Holy Thunder. I fucking love this yeah. band. I mean, I was so sad. We're proud of that record. I think, you know, all of us will say it's one of the better records any of us have ever recorded. And that's the cool thing about music, you know? Like you can bands can break up, but like that's not going anywhere. That record's yeah. not going anywhere and we can still listen to it and we can still remember all the times we had. Yeah. And those are just as concrete as if we were still going, you know? That record is documented and that's cool to me it's a good way to look at it yeah um so let's switch gears a little bit i've got a bunch of drummer friends that have front man syndrome (laughs) they sit behind that kit and they're just like i just want to be in front i just want to be in front is that how tin horn came about yeah i don't know i mean i don't know if i had front man syndrome I, i had more like songwriter syndrome you know, and I, I certainly wasn't and am still not a good enough guitar player to keep up with like Hackle and Pedro and Casey and that's the kind of stuff that only Thunder was writing was really complex and I have I still have no understanding of like how Hackle taps his guitar or how, you know, Pedro played those leads or anything like that. So it was, you know, I forget when I first started like strumming and writing music, probably just in those, you know, when I would go down to the basement and like I'd always kinda of carry a tune. And I started kind of doing these open mics a long time ago, just on a whim. This girl I worked with at Coors would do these open mics in Evergreen. And I was like, oh, that, I could try one of those. Like, I, I had a couple of songs written at that point. So I did that. And, you know, I just, Tin Horn was kind of, at the time, not supposed to be a band. It was like Mike and Corey and Eric all just wanted to, like, sit down and kind of play this weird bluegrass music. And that's exactly what we did. We all sat down. We all played acoustic guitar. And it grew into this kind of bigger band and that was another almost made it story (laughs) that's that's coming that's coming yeah um so was that your first time like playing in front of a crowd like as the you weren't the front man but you were up there center stage was that your first time well like i said i sang in that weird band world champion so that was like we you know biggest show we ever played was 100 people or anything like that yeah, it was the first time where I ever like sang and played guitar in a band. Uh, how, how was it? How was it getting out there and in front of everybody? I was at that first show, yeah. which you sat down and played kick drum at the same time, which yeah. is pretty great. Yeah, I played kick drum and hi hat and played guitar. I mean, that's the thing; it, it happened so kind of slowly that yeah. it wasn't like I got thrown out and like we had to be in this band all of a sudden. I was like the front man. It was we sat in this kind of U shape. We were just kind of like supposed to be casually playing songs. And that was when, you know, Chuck Reagan was there and he was like blown away by it. And he was, you know, he got us on a revival tour show and he put us on the compilation. And then yeah. because of that, we thought maybe we should devote a little more time to it. And Mikey was in Sleepwalkers at the time. I don't know if Corey was doing and Eric were doing anything, but, you know, it was another thing where this was totally a side project. Um, and then it became a full band. We got a drummer and then we started touring and we got, you know, put a record, we put two records out yeah. and, uh, maybe, you know, just like the only thunder thing, those are documented and maybe <laughs> one day we'll do something again. I, I hope so. Um, you had sold your drums in the, in this time. Yeah. Why did you sell your drums? Did you think you would never return to it? I don't know. Um, it might've been because of lack of space. I was living in an apartment probably, um, I think I was pretty devoted on Tin Horn Prayer at the time. I'd had a couple friends that, like, maybe, like, something in the back of my head wanted people to, like, 
only look at me as like a guitar player and singer yeah. and then maybe like find out later like oh he also plays drums but like you'll never know that about him <laughs> and I don't know how you know act- actively I thought about that but it was talking to I think you know Casey from Shining Wires you know I think every band and is his last band he's always like when you know when when he was in the Nutsockets and they broke up, he was never going to play music again. This was when he was like 19. And then he went on to Costa Living and when they broke up, he was never going to play music again. And only Thunder broke up. So then after only Thunder broke up, he didn't play music for the longest time. And we were at, actually it was a New Year's party at Casey's house. And me and Josh and him had been hanging out a lot. We were just, you know, we're still good friends. And Casey was saying he missed playing music and Josh's last band had broken up. And they were like, just need a drummer. And I was like, ah, you know. Fuck it. <laughs> buy a drum set. So I bought a drum set. And then it was around that time, too, that the new needed a drummer. And uh, I didn't know what was going to happen with Tin Horn Prayer. So I just kind of wanted to, like I said, remain as active as possible. So it's funny to think now that like I made this big you know, move to become this singer-songwriter guy. But now I play drums more than anything. And I think more people, because the new are kind of from a different scene, more people know me as the drummer from the new. I don't know anything about me fronting a band or anything like that, which, you know, I don't care. I don't, whatever. I like the camaraderie of a band, and I like yeah. playing music, and it doesn't really matter in what capacity, and I don't need to be the front man. I don't need to be the guitar player. I don't yeah. need to be anything, because at the end of the day, we're still playing the same shows. We're still having the same fun. I realized the other day, I was talking, to we, the new played a show, and uh, as soon as we got done, like, everyone was talking to our singer and our guitar player, and me and the bass player were, like, loading up all the equipment. And I was like, it's weird because I never really realized how people ignore you. Like when I was in Only Thunder, you know, I yeah. didn't get talked to that much. It was fine. And then when I became the guy in Tin Horn Prayer, people would always want to talk to me. And now that I'm back to being the drummer, people <laughs> ignore me and I load out equipment. So I've seen both sides. They're both, they both have their advantages. <laughs> Which would you prefer? Like Phil Collins, you know, yeah. like drummer who sings. <laughs> really rich. You're, you're a good Sock singer. You could, you could pull that off. <laughs> yeah, man. Just, um, I breathe too hard to... So, so back to Tin Horn Prayer. If you don't mind talking about no, Tin Horn Prayer a little bit more, yeah. I, I kind of want to dig into it because you guys, you guys put out gra- Grapple, Grapple the Rails, one of my favorite records of last year. Yeah. Top, top, I think it was my number three of last year. I mean, of course, it goes up and down, but yeah. uh, as it should. Well, maybe not should. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling. Um, I was really bummed you guys suffered from the paper and plastic curse. <laughs> uh, great record. No push, no promotion, no yeah. anything. You don't have to say anything because, you know, I don't want to incriminate you. Um, but, yeah, like, that, that was such a great record, and then things just kind of died. Yeah. But it seemed like you guys were on that upward slope, like with Only Thunder. Do you think that was the ultimate undo? Was that part of the undoing, going up that slope? I don't know. I mean, it's sad. I mean, like I said, I mean, I, without saying too much, I'm not a guy that likes to air out dirty laundry. I feel it's sad with Tin Horn because I don't think it was coming back down quite yet. Yeah. The last show we played was at the Bluebird Theater. It was practically sold out. You know, there's 400 people there. And that's kind of a weird thing to think about. Like, that's how the band ends. Usually it's kind of stuff starts to fizzle out and then you break up. And that's kind of the saddest thing about Tin Horn Prayer is there was a lot of potential there as a band. You know, and as far as anything else... And you know what I'm talking about, but I don't want to say too much to everyone yeah. else who's listening. But, like, you know, and that's all the internal stuff that we had was very sad in itself, too. And that's kind of why, you know, I my, I personally and the other guys, none of us have said that, you know, we're not doing that band anymore. Yeah. We're just not playing shows right now. And, like, 
Chris Vogel from the Gamets, he kind of told us too, or at least told me and Ethan, because you know, the Gamets broke up in 2001, and now they're back together. It's 2001, maybe. Maybe a little bit later than that. I want to say like 2000. I want to say more like 2004 or five. Yeah, you might be right. Anyway, um, you know, they broke up that long ago, and now they're back together. And Vogel kind of said like, you know, there was never any point in us breaking up. We just didn't have to play for a while. And people are still excited when you come back. And I hope someday we do have that big triumphant return. And I, I, as I hope for only thunder. And, you know, it makes me feel, you know, good to a point that, like, I can still hope for those things rather than these, like, you know, incredibly, you know, sanctimonious kind of, like, overblown breakups that I want to avoid with everybody in my life, you know? Like, not that I don't like conflict. Like, I'll, I'll yell at somebody if they deserve it. <laughs> but, like, you know, I want to keep that door open just as I want to keep all the doors open with all my projects. Yeah. So uh, it, it's it was in this interim in this downtime with Tin Horn, um, you started right. You well, let's see. What what do I have here that I have written down? Uh, we already talked about that. We already talked about that. Oh, so one thing is you're in like. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. The downtime. You wrote a book. Yeah. And a rec and a second album. You already had a first album come out. Solo like record? yeah, yeah. A new new solo record. Uh, yeah. Wicked Dark. Andy Thomas's Wicked Dark, of course, the project, um, was that is that was a response to the downtime, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that's you know where a lot of solo albums come from. Yeah, and you know, as as happy as I am being a drummer, you know, the reason why I do both is because I, I don't see a lot of similarities between the two. You know, from you know from Tin Horn Prayer to Only Thunder, there's not a lot of similarities, and that's because Tin Horn Prayer and my solo stuff is an extension of you know, this poetic kind of soft-spoken side of me. Maybe, you know, Tin Horn Prayer wasn't exactly soft-spoken, but, you know, a more introspective songwriter approach to things, whereas drums are just me banging on shit. <laughs> um, and Wicked Dark, a lot of, like, the stuff that I was writing for Tin Horn Prayer by the end, there's a song called Dying to Dry and Grapple the Rails. It's kind of this weird, dark, macabre, kind of waltzy thing. And I, around that time, I was listening to, like, Murder by Death and Nick Cave and, like, a lot of bands like Leonard Cohen that are just kind of real, real dark and kind of brooding artists and so Andy Thomas's Dust Start was supposed to be vastly different from Blood and Sunshine which is a solo record I came out with in 2005 or something like that 2006 because um, it was supposed to be these really I think it was was it that early that came out yeah well it's you know if I can date it it was about five years ago because it was when me and Jen first started dating because I joked that I wanted to call it songs about Jen songs about jail <laughs> there's kind of a lot of songs yeah. about her and a lot of songs about me God, it doesn't arrested. seem like it's been five years it was about five years ago. Well, you said 2005, 2006, I'm and that really was not guessing. that was not five years ago. That was <laughs> like 2000. I, I want to say that album came out in 2010, but no, it was five years ago. Was it? Four okay. And a half, five years all right. Ago. Yeah, all right. Like yeah. Said, it started me and Jen's relationship because I was writing a lot of songs about her, and I was writing a lot of songs about. Uh, like I said, I I'd been arrested like a year before, and a lot of the stuff. I mean, that that stuff still comes out. Yeah. Fire in the Jailhouse is about that, that, that. That's one of these questions I have right here. Uh, Fire in the Jailhouse is based on personal experience. Yeah. You're getting arrested. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about that or not, but uh, how, how much of this, and you just answered it, how much of these songs come from real life experience, yeah. but at the same time, this new album is mostly, it's about the Coen brothers. Why the Coen brothers and not the Farley brothers or something? <laughs> I don't know. I 
I guess, you know, I think about like some of my favorite movies or I was at the time. Maybe I was watching a lot of them and I think I told, I might have even told Mike from Tinhorn that like, because he's a big movie guy and I told him like my plan is to watch all the Coen Brothers movies and he was kind of mentioning some weird ones that I'd never heard of. So I was like, I'll just well, I'll watch all those. That'll be cool. And then like thinking about the themes in those movies and like why do I like those movies because like I identify with some of those movies. Yeah. And there was 15 of them, which I thought was like a perfect album length. So, I, you know, I, I wrote a lot that didn't make the record. Uh, I didn't write some at all, which was, you know, in some respects kind of like a, a failure, an unfinished project. But I didn't feel a close kinship to some of them. I didn't want to like extend out this kind of, uh, I didn't want to send out this kind of like abstract approach to songwriting if I didn't really identify with them. So the ones I, I did identify with, you know, I really identified with. And it's about the Coen Brothers movies, but I think I told someone this too. Like, it's hard for me to to write some of those lyrics without really closely identifying with them. There's a song called Nature Review that's, you know, it's about the plot of Old Country for Old Men. And, and that's my favorite, by the way. Thanks. But it's kind of about, you know, I think that movie's about kind of like being overmatched. You know, like, you're kind of like having life pass you by and you can't really keep up with trends and that's what I feel like every day and there's that line that says you know I don't think I belong here I just don't fit in at all and the gallop of my footsteps ebbs to a slow and steady crawl and like that's that's me <laughs> you know that's yeah. a lot of us that's a lot of my friends playing music that's you know that's us just letting everything get away from us and not being able to keep up and you know so and, and you know that's it was a good exercise for me to kind of take some themes and then expand on them and uh, I'm glad I did it, and you know, I, I, I hope I can still write songs without borrowing from other people's experience, and I'm sure I can, but it was a good way to get a lot of those emotions that I wanted to get out through another avenue. What was your favorite uh, Coen Brothers film of that experience? Probably Blood Simple, yeah. which you know spawned a pretty, the creepiest song that when I did the video for, it's called Simple Solution, and I liked it. It was kind of a cool exercise on their part of not having, you know, the theme there is obviously about devotion and, you know, doing anything for the person you care about. But it's not the most formulaic. It's not kind of the most hidden meaning because they just show this 45-minute scene of a guy getting buried in the desert, and it's really kind of creepy. Um, but that was the one that was easiest to write because I just kind of did a retelling of that scene pretty much is there one my, my favorite has always been the Hudsucker Proxy is there a Hudsucker Proxy song I did write this? yeah and I have a demo of it I'll send wow. to you I, it wasn't it was a little more upbeat um, <laughs> it was called it was called uh, Stay Where You Are it was kind of about not moving out of a position you're semi-comfortable in to try to like reach too far yeah. and then you fall off the building and, and I had a Fargo one that was about greed and I had a uh Raising Arizona one that was kind of about love and going to jail for the person you love and um, maybe someday I'll go back through and write the second half. Cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, a little bit more about songwriting. Like, who are some of the songwriters who like just leave you in awe? Other than like you mentioned Hackle and those guys with guitar playing. But, yeah. Like, who are the guys like you were like? I don't know how the fuck they do it. Yeah. Let's. I'm gonna try it anyway. I. Uh, I, I'm pretty obsessed with Joe Pug right about now. And you're opening for him. How great is that? For him, yeah. You know, I actually opened for him last year at the High Dive, too. Um, so it's cool to do it again. Um, I really like Justin Towns Earl a whole bunch. I think the guys in Deer Tick write pretty incredible songs. Uh, there's this guy named J.D. McPherson from Oklahoma who I like a lot. Um, I think, you know, 
uh, you know, it's weird coming from two different sides of like a guy who has kind of has been in these kind of technically proficient bands. So I still listen to, you know, like I still listen to a lot of heavy stuff. I still listen to Red Fang and I still listen to The Sword and stuff like that. Um, but as far as like, you know, I, I, I still don't think I can do a lot of that stuff. So what I closely identify with and what I really admire is those guys who can just craft a really well-written song. And I think the guys I just named have a way of doing that like nobody else can. And if I could get, you know, one-tenth as good as those guys, I'd be amazed. Uh, so we, we already talked a little bit about that tour we went on way, way, way back 40 minutes ago. Yeah. Um, it's been 40 minutes? Yeah, it's been about 40 minutes. Time flies, buddy. Yeah, man. Um, how was it taking those solo songs on the road? I mean, that 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 week was pretty... It was a pretty weird... Like, all the shows, they were fun, but they all kind of sucked. Yeah. How was it? Like, my favorite was when you're in Memphis. You're playing the Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies. Is that the team? Is that I don't I don't follow basketball. You do. Uh, they're playing. They're fucking playing in the playoffs while you you start your set and everybody's like yeah, yeah. during your set and you're just like playing a song about murder. I called them out on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but how was it going out on tour and just kind of eating crow every night? How, I mean, we talked about this then too, but I I think other people would be curious to know yeah. you know about that. You know, it's you know. I, my understanding of touring has always been you do kind of eat crow and like yeah. you do play to disinterested people and and that's kind of part of it you know and that's what builds character and if you can keep doing it after tours like that then it proves you really care about it and I'm I'm in for like the experience of those yeah. things and I'm the, the experience of touring in general so when I talked about doing a solo tour it was more because I didn't think it was going to be successful but I had to do it you know, and the reason kind of why Arliss Nancy does it, you know, well, they don't have, we don't have to do anything. We play music because we want to. And that proves, you know, it's not because we're trying to, like, pay our mortgage with it or anything like that. But, you know, when you go out and you play those fucking 12 people shows and six of them are watching a basketball game. Yeah. But you still kind of find some understanding of why you're doing it. And you can still, you know, I'm still playing songs that I wrote to people who have never heard them before in different states. And that was the coolest thing for me. I toured with bands, you know, ever since I've been in Ghost Buffalo pretty much, or even before that, I guess. But this was, you know, and part of the reason, you know, you write songs like I do is because you want to put your shit on the line. And, you know, you, you want to be kind of judged by it. And so, you know, but it still was rewarding to get to the end of that tour when we got to Durham and, like, you know, there was like 40 people in the room and 20 of them knew the words to a lot of my songs. Yeah. So that made everything worthwhile, you know, like that was amazing. And that, like, I think about it, some musicians like, you know, even like a J.D. McPherson or like a Justin Towns Earl, if you were like, man, there's going to be 20 people singing along your song tonight, they'd be like, who fucking, 20 people? Like I do 500 everywhere I go. You'd be like, well, you need to take a step back because, you know, that's important to people like me. It's important to people like Arliss Nancy. It's important to people like Only Thunder. And it's good to get out of town because I, I know from my experience just those those local bands that do huge but have never left. Yeah. And then they they finally go out on the road and they're like, oh, nobody gives a shit about no. us. I mean, not not for you because you're a very humble individual, but it's good to get out there and bring those things yeah, out well, there. Yeah, I mean, you know, Denver is great because you can play these massive shows and you have the UMS and you can play fucking Red Rocks. You can play the Gothic Theater and, like, 
but it's it's so insulated that you forget that you're right that you step outside of this bubble this island that we're on and people don't give a shit and the minute you try to like you know it ha it's happened to me before even with Tin Horn Prayer when Tin Horn Prayer signed with paper and plastic and we were booking a tour and I was like well the name's out there now nope still I mean a couple people a night still but like the, the promoters don't know who you are like the, the people who are at the bar don't know who you are and like there's five people who know who you are and that, that's who you're playing for and that's fine I, I was telling somebody once, like, because I, I, I'm from the other end. I booked shows, promoter, and whatnot, which you know, but they might not. Um, I always tell people, I'm like, when you're, as a promoter, booking agent, talent buyer, whatever the hell you want to call it, you win a little, you lose a lot. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the game of it. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you know, and sometimes you have to, like, reevaluate what your successes are. Yeah. A success for me is going on tour, and a success for me is having 10 people sing along in Durham, North Carolina, and a success for me is I don't have to beg people in Denver for a show. I know Jim, I know Ben DeSoto, you know, like, I know these guys, and that's cool, and that's a level of success, and it doesn't get me any money, and it doesn't put me on the cover of Rolling Stone, and maybe it sounds like a little like I'm trying to talk myself into these things, but thinking back to where I was when I first moved here, and like I said, I didn't know anybody, and I had to sing in a metalcore band because that was my option. And to to play in four bands now, and to play a show when I when I want to, is yeah. you know that's a level of success to me as a musician and as a performer. Oh yeah. So you recently got engaged. Congratulations, I approve. <laughs> uh, because that means so much to you. Yeah. Uh, you and Jen went on this tour together. She's yeah. also on the album, along with some other fantastic people uh, that I'm sure you'll name here in a minute. Did you know beforehand you were going to propose, or was this tour the kind of thing that locked it together? Because you guys were trapped in this little Subaru yeah. seven days. Was yeah. it like, let's see how this goes, or did you know before? Well, I wanted to do it on tour. Um, I wanted to do it in Memphis, which is probably a good thing I didn't, because I thought we were playing at 1372 Overton Park, yeah. which is that Lucero kind of album. She's a big Lucero fan, so I like that would that would really tie it in. But you had then, the ring with you and everything? No, because that, what happened too is uh, I had to get something done to it, and it wasn't ready in time. Um, but I, you know, I kind of may I don't know if I already told her I had, like suggested like would it be cool if I like proposed you on stage, and she was like hell yeah it would be. So she knew going in. She didn't know that was happening then because you know that was. A month later, yeah. we got back middle of May, and the UMS was the end of July, so it was like a month and a half later. Yeah. So later. yeah, that was uh, UMS. Where were you guys? The Hornet? We're at the Metal Arc. Oh, Metal Arc, right down the street from yeah. here. Yeah, and uh, uh, Metal Arc, right down the street. They didn't catch up. Um, were you a nervous wreck doing it, or you already knew? You know, I think it was weird. I don't really remember how the set went. I wasn't nervous, but like I wasn't really paying attention to anything. <laughs> And I kept kind of looking at the set list and it kept getting smaller and smaller. And I cut two songs too because I was like, I can't, I can't play this set anymore. Like it felt really insignificant at that point. And it was funny because a couple people, like John Turner who works here, give him a shout out, he had put some pictures on Instagram and there was one of me playing and then there was one of me proposing. Yeah. And I was like, man, music's so stupid sometimes <laughs> in like the great scheme of things. Because like I looked at that picture of me playing and I was just like, who cares about that? Like, yeah. why would someone take a picture of me playing guitar when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm expressing love to someone at the end of the night and I'm showing, you know, I'm doing this grand gesture and um, I, I, you know, I, I forgot about the set and I don't think I was nervous because it seemed really kind of inconsequential yeah. at that point, you know? <laughs> well, you know she's too good for you, right? Is that oh, why yeah. you had to lock it down? For sure, man. No, I should have <laughs> done that way sooner. I mean, I always wanted to. It was just, you know, 
it's got to be the right time. And I think I, I think I did the right time. I agree. I, I'm really, really bummed that I wasn't there, especially after that week of hanging out on the road. I'm yeah. like, ah. But I'll be, I'll be. I'm in Denver now, so I'll be at every show from now on. Yeah. In case you guys like have a kid on stage or something. <laughs> yeah. You can always get divorced on stage. You never know. Well, no, it's. I've, I've never seen that, but <laughs> I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure like Matt, uh, Jack White, and whoever. I forget everybody's names. Yeah. Maybe they'd get divorced on stage, but... Yeah, uh, there's some real prima donnas out there, I'm sure. But we're here to talk mostly about your book, now. and then we've talked about all this other stuff. Because you've got a book coming out. What day is it? i got it written down at the bottom here. It's, it's, like, it's being released October 11th. I mean, it's out. You can order it online. If you PayPal me, I can send you copies. But I'm doing a party at Mutiny Books right across from the High Dive on October 11th. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's coming out. You read a book read a book I don't know what word wrote and read at the same time um, I know a thousand people myself included who have started been like I'm going to go write the great American novel and never finish it so congratulations on finishing it yeah thanks. Um, how many false starts were there going into it a lot like tons I mean ever since college that was always the plan yeah and I you know that was always the thing too that was always the ultimate goal and that was like the thing I felt the laziest about was why can't you just finish a book yeah. you know it was, and then meanwhile I'm putting out all these albums I was like oh I don't do shit like I'm worthless <laughs> I got this uh, T.S. Eliot kind of quote tattooed on my arm which is from Love Song of J. Alfred Proofrock and it says each to each and I think that whole song is about you know not taking advantage of the times you have and making sure it's kind of like you know carpe diem in a way like making sure you have today like we talked about earlier <laughs> I think after, whatever, I mean, it's like a tattoo motivated me, but I kind of got that to remind me to simply write, you know, like, this is the time to do it, it's not going to write itself, like, I kept telling myself all these things, I, I think, it's funny though, the, the main reason I got a lot of it done is because I was unemployed for a while, and I couldn't, I was, I was working from home, and then there was like a stint where I was unemployed, so I had all this time to sit in front of a computer with no one watching me, and I couldn't be in the house anymore. So I'd go to a coffee shop, and that's like the most pretentious place to write because you're just putting it out there and you're showing everyone how creative you are. Yeah. But that's what motivated me to do it. And I also read the Stephen King book on writing. I just said, just, just don't think about it. Just write. You have to write yeah. 2,000 words every day. You have to write 3,000 words every day. So. Was it was that when you were on your Facebook exile? Probably. Yeah. That probably helped. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't distracted. Yeah. That that's always my biggest problem. I'm like, because I'm like, oh, what's going on on this side of the internet? What's going on over here? What's going on over there? I I went to places that I knew didn't have Wi-Fi for a lot of it too, and that kind of forces you to write it because, yeah, the fucking internet's the worst for being productive with anything. You know, like that's why everyone sucks at their job now because like you fucking look at BuzzFeed every ten minutes and YouTube and all that shit. Uh. Your songs are essentially stories. You just wrote a novel. Have you always been a storyteller? Have you been writing since you were a little kid, or is that a new thing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was always the thing is in school that I was good at, and that was the thing that teachers would always kind of pull me aside and you know comment on. So it was encouraging from an early stage. I definitely wasn't good at science. My dad's a scientist. I'm horrible at it. My dad's a you know a research scientist. He's a chemist. Um, and my mom was an English major, and I kind of took that side from her, um, which is funny because my dad just wrote a book too. But it's about you know it's about brewing, which is what he does. Oh yeah, you told me about that. <laughs> uh, what is that? Let's plug that. It's called Of Minds and Beer. 
Uh, you can get it on Amazon and Tattered Cover. He's sold, he's sold a lot of copies. I mean, my dad's about as expert in the subject as you can possibly get. And he wrote a book about kind of brewing up in the area where we're from, like outside of Blackhawk. And it's about brewing in Colorado, essentially that area. So yeah, it's funny that you know, he was always a scientist, but then we wrote books at the same time too. So he's creative in his own right. Um, but you know, I, you know, if I'm getting off track here, I, I don't know what to do with it. I'm, I'm glad it's out. I want to write another one, and you know, I, it's it's like any like music. You can't expect to get famous off the first one. You can't expect to get any accolades off the first one. So I'm gonna build, hopefully, build a resume. And it's you know, it's good that you know, I was always like, just write one. Well, if you write one, why can't you write another one? If, like if if you can record an album, why would you just stop there? Yeah. So I'm gonna keep trying. Yeah. You also wrote for Westward for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, any desire to continue the journal? I mean, you're a mass communications major at Mesa State in Grand yeah. Junction. Any desire to continue the uh, journalism route? I don't know. Um, I liked it. Um, it's it's a lot of time, as you know. Like you know, you're you're a writer. You it yeah. takes a lot to. Sit. I'm not a writer. Well, you know, I wrote for Am, just yeah. as you wrote for Am. Yeah. Um, I don't think so, you know, um, I, th I think that part of me might be behind me and I think anytime I want to write, I think it's going to be for enjoyment and I think it's going to be fiction and I think it's going to be, um, you know, on my own terms. Yeah. I really liked writing for Westward. I was really proud of like those years where I was writing like a feature a month that I was, you know, like really active and that's how I met a lot, that's how I met the new, I interviewed them. You know, that's how I met a lot of the people I know now is I would just sit down as you know, you know, you make these connections. Yeah. And I did a podcast and stuff for Westward, and I still, I, I'd probably go back to doing something like that more than I went back yeah. to sitting down and writing things. I actually forgot that you actually, what what happened to what, what was your podcast? You only guys only put out like two new episodes of this newer one. Yeah, well, it's called the Feedlot. I forget yeah. why it even started. It was just me and three of my friends. We did yeah. it super when we were a couple of us had lived together, and like one of my friends bought a mixing board, and he had an iMac. And I had some, you know, background in journalism, and I had done a radio show in college, and we just decided to do it. We, I forget how many episodes. That's why I asked you how many you had done, because I think yeah. we got to 50 and then stopped. Yeah. But then uh, there was this internet radio station that like kind of hired us to do our show for the internet station, and we didn't. We're not. I mean, I had some background in like being a college DJ, but none of us are professional DJs. So we were just sitting around and get drunk and play music and talk, and then like. Three weeks in, they were like, all you guys do is get drunk and ramble. And we were like, yeah, well, that's what you told us to do. And then they kind of, like, canceled us. <laughs> and we were, like, pretty incensed because, you know, we sent them all our shows. And they knew what they were getting themselves into. And it's fucking internet radio. And I'm sorry if anyone's listening from there. But, like, you know, fuck off, man. Like, yeah. you're not part of the FCC. You're not KTCL. Like, I can talk about my dick on a podcast on your internet radio station. Then they fired us. Did they pay you at all? I don't think they did pay us. Oh. So that was even more hurtful. Well, then never mind. Don't hook me up with them. <laughs> no, you don't want to uh, do So, yeah, the book is Hell is New Jersey. Hell is in New Jersey, excuse me. Jen uh -huh. is from New Jersey. Yeah. Are you saying you hate I mean, her family and Jen and all that stuff? It's a fictional town, and the reason why I picked it is because um, New Jersey is kind of, I mean, unique in its landscape where... I needed to be kind of like slightly remote but slightly run down and uh, I think originally it took place somewhere else but Hell is in New Jersey had a nicer ring to it I kind of I could picture like 
you know, where, where my fiance's from and where her aunts live are kind of like, you know, you're close to everything because it's a small state and it's really populated. But there's these big, you know, there's the Pine Barrens and there's these big woodland, woodland areas. So I think that was the ultimate, you know, decision. And I, because people have this preconceived notion of Jersey being shitty, you know, I think I wanted to kind of tie that in as like a joke. But it's not about the state of New Jersey being a shithole. It takes, like I said, it's a fictional town with some trees in it. And, and and what is the book about? Because you haven't given me a copy yet, so I haven't read it. I have no idea. Um, it's it's loosely, real super loosely based. I, I have to stress that because, like, I don't want this, you know, the, let me go backwards. It's it's inspired by this Edgar Caret, who's this Israeli writer. He wrote this whole book of short stories called The Bus Driver Who Wanted to Be God, which is what uh, the movie Wrist Cutters came out of. And he had this other short story that I really identified with. For whatever reason, I still like can't figure out why I liked it so much. But it was called A Souvenir from Hell. And in the short story, it's kind of about this like woman who works at a gift shop. And people from hell are allowed to leave hell and go to the gift shop and buy something and go back into hell. And then one of the guys from hell impregnates this girl. And she says, like, oh, God, I have the devil growing inside of me. And that's the whole thing. And I turned it into the guys in New Jersey the, you know, but he falls in love with a, uh, a girl from the line and he decides to go in and rescue her because he decides his life sucks it's supposed to kind of be about like people who are like stuck in like their dead end life mm-hmm. and are so fed up with things that they decide that hell is like a better option yeah. so he goes into hell and then you know chaos ensues and yada 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 is it a metaphor for your own life at all? I don't think now. I mean, I'm happy now, but you know, I've definitely been in those moments where I've just like, get me the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. anything's better than here. Like, I want to, you know, just move on with everything. But you know, I'm now I'm happy. But you know, every time you're writing a song or a book or you know a story, you have to, you have to like think about the feelings that you have had before. And if you sat around and you like wallowed in your shit and like you know, you wrote things as an extension of how you're feeling at the time, you'd be a pretty miserable person, but you can be a pretty happy person and write some pretty dark subject matter just because everyone's felt like that before. So it's easy for me to think like, man, remember how shitty things have been and how like you just wanted to run? So this is like that theory of you just want to run except you run into hell and the devil's there. Uh, With the book, you went the self-publishing route. I know you, Amazon, you were up for Amazon publishing thingamabob. Yeah. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what it was. I didn't do my research on that part very well. The, the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award, which like would have came with like a lot of money in a publishing deal, and I made it past the first round. And they, which is cool. I beat out like six thousand other books, and then they only they, you know ten thousand people entered, and then one like I don't know like five people win or something yeah. like that. It's cool. I made it past the first round. It was a nice feeling. Yeah. Um, so you went the DIY publishing route, but with your background in punk rock and all this other stuff, it's a natural fit, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know, and I wonder, it's, you know, when you, when you try to get an agent or you try to get a publisher, it's just really hard to do. It's just as hard as getting signed as a band and it doesn't work out. I wonder what some people did. Luckily for me, I went to the same friend who always designed my album covers and said like, hey, dude, I need a book cover. And he figured it out. Luckily, my fiance's aunt was a copy editor so I just gave it to her and said hey can you do this for me and I think you know yeah when you whether you're a, you know a promoter who books punk rock or you're a punk rock musician or anything you yeah you know that like just because people say no to you doesn't mean you, you can't do it you know so that was what's cool like I gave it a shot and then I said like fuck you guys I don't want to put out my book in your stupid you know uh label it's not even a label anyway that's probably why i didn't get picked up i don't want to put my book out with you anyway and i did it and um 
I'm okay with that. Is the uh, satisfaction level, like, you've got a book, but you've also done records, is the satisfaction level different, or does it hit the same, like, brain <laughs> nodes or whatever the hell they are? I think, for me, the book's a little more satisfying, um, you know, and not to talk shit about my friends or myself or any other musician, but, like, I still, you know, when I think about music and bands, like, I think playing in a band is a pretty easy thing to do. And it's not for everybody, but if you put some effort in, like being in a band and putting out a record, it's pretty easy, and it's it doesn't take a genius to put out a record. And not that I'm saying my book is genius or anything like that, but I think you know it's a little more proud of an accomplishment because none of my, I mean, a couple of my friends have done it, but you know it's it takes a little bit more hard work and it takes a little bit more craft and. Luckily, I had enough of that to put out, you know, a book that was going to be self-published and probably will sell 100 copies. But I'm really proud of this, and, you know, I think it's my biggest accomplishment to date, if that's saying anything. Well, well, like I was saying, like, how many people do you know that are like, I'm going to go write a book and never do it? Yeah. You've actually done it. you finished yeah. it. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's because of that, too, and I feel like I've gotten a lot of my friends who are writers who have finished books, like, they're not, like... And, you know, with present company excluded, they seem like they're kind of pissed at me when I talk about it because they're like, you know, they should they should do it. You know, there's no reason why people shouldn't do it. Well, I, I know my biggest uh, problem is myself. I get my myself gets in the way. So, I mean, good for you for getting yourself out of the way. Yeah, I mean, well, that's my problem, too. And you kind of have to just put that aside and be like, well, that was a thing. If, if you if you have any like small accomplishment and it's not like I'm going to write a bestseller. You're just gonna like I'm just gonna write a book. Yeah. Then it's you don't have to worry about if it's good, and then hopefully it is at the same yeah. time. But you did it. You set out your goal. I have that problem where I get ten pages in and I start thinking about the future instead of the page eleven. Yeah. I'm like, man, what what's the cover gonna look like? What's this? And, yeah. and the I next thing you know, I built it up way too big, and nothing ever gets done. I mean, the cool thing about like the process was it was like reading a book for me you know like when you're reading a book and you say oh man it'd be really cool if this happened and then you'd be like i'm, I'm gonna make that happen this is gonna be cool yeah instead of because every time you're reading a book or you see a movie there's things that you think are gonna happen or you want to happen unfortunately when someone else writes it it doesn't and then you're disappointed but when you're reading or you're writing a book you're just basically like reading as it's going along and you get to decide what's yeah. gonna happen next yeah um let's let's start right God, we've been talking for an hour, an hour. Yeah, man. Um, let's let's kind of wrap this up because I'm sure our friends are tired of listening to us <laughs> talk. Sure I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so you're you have a fantastic, fascinating day job right now. Uh, West something. I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the it's name. Not that fascinating. It's not. <laughs> but what? what do you, but other people listening to this might be like, dude, that sounds up my alley. What are you doing yeah. for a day job now? Um, so I work for a, a regional nonprofit, the Western States Arts Federation. Um, it, it deals with a lot of different components of kind of arts advocacy and arts funding and grant writing and things like that. Uh, the cool things that I get to do that are kind of fascinating are um, I get to work on a program, well, two programs. I get to work on this thing called Tour West, which give grants to performing artists, and that's dance companies and people of that kind of ilk. But then we have I Am Tour, which gives like government money to bands to tour, which is kind of unheard of. And we're really trying to like get that on- online so more people hear about it. We've only done one year of it, and it was fairly successful. But we sent like the Photo Atlas and Cigarette Rattlesnake to kind of these weird like nonprofits in the Western States region, and to you know varying degrees of success. I think the Photo Atlas said that they uh, the mayor of Tucson tried to get the plug pulled on him because they were too loud at like this community. 
uh, it's a community concert that we set them up with. Um, so that's cool. And, you know, regardless of what happens with me and my artistic endeavors, it's nice to know that I can still help other people out. And that's the coolest thing about my job right now. And it pays your bills. That pays Help bills. <laughs> yeah, for a change. All right. So uh, the book, Hell is in New Jersey. You're going to do a release party Friday the 11th, October 11th, at Mutiny Coffee Exchange. Uh, owned by Jim from Three Kings and two other individuals. I have no idea who the names are. I apologize. Um, you you mentioned there's going to be no readings of the book at all, right? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Oh. Change I, your mind now? No, I mean, you know, I think it's cool when David Sedaris does it. Yeah. I, I think he's great. I, those are like essay-based humorous things. But, like, I don't know. No one wants to really watch... 30 seconds of a movie or like you know or just try to sum up like I think any part I read people would not really get it in the great scheme of things okay. so I'd prefer if you know if people just read it and I you know it's not that long of a book <laughs> people can sit down and read it well I, I was thinking Damon uh, Damon Merkel from Bad Luck City like I, I didn't know what your reasoning was you were just like book readings are lame uh, on the internet and I was like man the guy from Bad Luck City who's on uh, that song on your new record, yeah. he should just read That's a couple. That's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, because he's just got that voice. You know, the guy should be though. a voiceover actor. He does some uh, he does some writing for the Rocky Mountain News, and I've listened to like some interviews with him, and he definitely puts on his kind of his like journalistic kind of professional voice, yeah. and then he puts on his dark, creepy Bad Luck City <laughs> voice. Um, so he phones it in, you know, just like everybody. So uh, what what can we expect? from this uh, book release party? Um, other, you know, I just want it to be fun. I want to have some beers there. I want to sign some copies of my book. I want to not be stressed about it. <laughs> and I want to, you know, kind of put a nice stamp on a big accomplishment. Cool. Are you, you going to play any songs or anything or any idea? No. No? Nobody's going to play songs? <laughs> it's just going to be like, hey, friend, we're going to sign this book. Chuck's DJing. Cool. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going back to like the kind of punk rock way of doing things yeah. where it's like, it's, it's supposed to be important, and I'm not trying to slight it, but I'm not going to, like, make a big deal, a bigger deal than it should be. I'm, you know, I just want to say, like, it's out. You guys should come buy a copy, and we'll, we'll get drunk, and it'll be fun. Cool? Yeah. So you're playing with Joe Pug. What day is that again? That's October 25th. And that's at the Larimer Lounge. Yep. And then you're going to Scotland? Yeah, if you live in Dundee, Scotland, that's uh, November 30th. Those are the only two solo shows I have. Yeah. And then what else for you? I mean, the new played Red Rocks, which we should have talked about, but yeah. that's fucking fantastic. Congrats on that, too. Um, anything else going on? I'm trying to think. I know that the new is going to write and record a record pretty soon. Uh, Bloodlines has that show October 29th. Shining Wires just putting out a tape pretty soon of our four songs. <laughs> nice. That's going to be on Snappy Little Numbers uh, label that spells, and the new are on, actually. Um, so that'll be my first tape. So that'll be cool. Um, and then I'll, you know I'll get back in and I'll will sit down and start writing some stuff for another solo record. And then me and Jen and Damien have this idea to do like a project together, kind of an extension of that Simple Solution song. We want to have this project about this couple that lives in the woods and there's these wolves that surround the, the cabin. And then Damien's supposed to play one of the wolves and he falls in love with Jen and then he tries to kill me. Nice. Yeah, so that'll be called Lobos if we can get it off the ground. And it's going to be like a, if it gets off the ground, like an EP or something? Yeah, it'll be like kind of like a story EP. Nice. Like kind can, of like a, I can see a photo book going along with it all yeah, of a sudden. Totally, yeah. And a video, of course. Of course, yeah. So, you know, things like that, you know, I, I still want to do things like that. I don't know how active a band like that could be because me and Jen are super busy and Damien has a baby and he's busy. Yeah. 
but you know you can I, I still want to try to pursue things like that cool and when's the wedding any idea next august cool what day any idea august 15th it's in new oh. hampshire well my birthday is august 3rd you should do really? it then and do it here so i can go <laughs> well, it's in new hampshire. but no i'm not, not going to new, new hampshire i'm sorry <laughs> um all right man anything else you want to throw out there no man i want to go doing this. yeah this is fun sorry it took so long it's all good man all right buddies thank you mr thomas for sitting down and hanging out with me. I know you're a busy, busy man. I'm surprised you didn't have one of your many band practices this night that we chose to uh, do this interview. But uh, thanks again. Um, and really, like, I didn't know a lot of that stuff. And we've traveled, we've hung out, we've partied together. It's really refreshing to, like, get to know somebody on this different level. And that's that's why we do the show. It's to meet people and connect with people and like even connect with people you already know um congratulations to andy and jen um i'm really bummed that your wedding is going to be all the way on the other side of the country so i can't come and make an ass out of myself and hit on all the bridesmaids and family members and whatnot but uh maybe you guys should maybe how, how about after this book release party you guys have a wedding reception party i don't know i'm just spitballing here i just i just want a good excuse to put on a suit uh, drink too many beers and hit on uh, girls that are way out of my league. <laughs> uh, so I ramble way too much. So we're going to try to keep this short. October 11th, Friday, October 11th at Mutiny Coffee Exchange. We're going to be celebrating the release of Hell is in New Jersey. How many friends do you know that are like, oh, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write the great American novel. And then they get like five pages in and they're done. Andy Thomas did that. I haven't read it yet, but he did it. He wrote a book. Congratulations, Andy. Um, it's free. We'll be hanging out. There's going to be music. Apparently, there's going to be beer there. There's going to be coffee there. There's going to be books there. There's going to be records there. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be there. I'm actually, you know, my one of my all-time favorite ska bands in the entire fucking world, the Pie Tasters, are playing at the Marquee Theater that night. I'm going to skip that show. I've never seen the Pie Tasters. I fucking love them. I'm going to skip that show to go support my buddy Andy because that's how much this means to me. So I think you guys can at least stop by, right? Right, right, buddies? Right, right. Um, and then again, uh, October for me, let me plug myself here real quick. We're going to do the first ever Mostly Harmless Live podcast Friday, October 18th at Mutiny Coffee Exchange. Same place, a block north from Three Kings Tavern. Super easy to find, super easy to Google. Uh, Two Cock Garage is going to come hang out. We're going to do a short, like maybe 20, 30-minute interview. They're going to play three or four different songs, and then we're going to head off to Lion's Lair, uh, where they're headlining that night, and blow that tiny little fucking place off the ground. It's going to be awesome, guys. Uh, Andy Thomas will not be there because he's going to be out of town, but that's his own damn fault. But speaking of Andy Thomas, he's going to be at the Larimer Lounge with Joe Pug on October 25th. Don't worry, guys. I've got my interview request in with Joe Pug. Let's see if we can make this happen. Um, but again, thank you, Andy, for hanging out and listening uh, listen to me ask you questions. I don't even know what I'm trying to talk about now. Uh, um, we're going to go ahead and end this episode finally. I know it's a long episode, and if you've made it this far, I commend you, uh, mostly because... I wouldn't listen to me for this long. I'd listen to Andy for a couple days, but me, oh, no. Oh, let me just shut up. Um, this is, again, this is another song off Andy Thomas's newest record, Wicked Dark. Uh, this is probably my favorite song on this record, and oddly enough, it's um, one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies as well. No Country for Old Men was the basis and the inspiration for the song. 
Uh, and this is Nature of View. Uh, you can find this on Andy Thomas's Bandcamp. Just visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com. And while you're there looking up Andy Thomas information, go ahead and click like on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a little iTunes review. It all works out so much beautiful, my friends. Just show us a little bit of love. Uh, I read every email. I, I'm awful at replying to emails, but I read them all. So please take a look, MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com. And then while you're there, Andy Thomas's Bandcamp, his Facebook, all that good stuff. It's all going to be right there. Just click like, add stuff, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to shut the hell up. Uh, again, this is Nature Review off Andy Thomas's Wicked Dark. And we'll see you October 11th at Mutiny Coffee Exchange. It's free. It's free, guys. And there's going to be beer. So, Nature Review, favorite song off Andy Thomas's newest record. And I'm going to shut the hell up. Uh, we'll see you in the funny pages, guys. On a West Texas morning Near the Tarot County line there lies a man who's shaking and dying There's no telling what you'll find And on that soberest of Sundays A crowd of people bow their heads Cause you can't expect there's no point in knowing Just exactly how it ends it costs for you to fall and on that west texas morning there's blood upon the ground it leads a trail straight to an answer but it never will be found and 
And on that soberest of Sundays A single shadow turns its head You have finally found your answer This is how it's gonna end Sitting back with no way of knowing All of those things they can take from you And through all the dark and desire You're singled out by one lonely fire The smoke is not telling you what to do That's just the nature of 